What up, what up, Meepsters? This is Ryan Rainbro, and if you're hearing this, that means you're about to listen to one of the 99 free episodes of the Meep Meep podcast available wherever you cast pods. But keep in mind that there are new and unreleased episodes of the show on patreon.com slash meetmeetpod. So you'll want to sign up there to hear future episodes and also other side projects like Choo Choo, the show about soundtracks and contribute suggestions for future episodes as well. Will I listen to your suggestion? <laughs> There's only one way to find out. Patreon.com slash meetmeetpod. Bye! Welcome to Meet Meet, the Roadrunner podcast, where we go through the albums of Roadrunner Records with the artists who made them and the musicians they influenced. Let's roll! What up, what up, Meepsters, and welcome to another edition of Living with a Pod Complex, where we explore albums released on Trustkill Records that were distributed through Roadrunner Records. Today, we're discussing Throwdown's 2005 album, Vendetta, which is a pivotal point in the band's career. You see, a couple years prior, in 2003, they released the album Haymaker, which was their first with formerly guitarist Dave Peters, now vocally vocalist Dave Peters. It was kind of a, a rehashing, a re-releasing of, of earlier material, re-recorded, a few new songs, and it was a noticeable difference between the newer songs and the older songs uh, lyrically. But uh, this was going to be Vendetta, 2005's Vendetta was going to be the first time we got to get a brand new set of completely new material with Dave on vocals. But other changes had been made in the band between Haymaker and Vendetta, most notably that former vocalist Keith Barney, who had turned guitarist. They see they kind of swap places here. It's like wife swap, but uh but with a band member. But I would definitely watch that show. Wife swap with band members or band members swapping each other. And Orange County hardcore pretty much is wife swap with band members, but uh slightly less racial tensions. So anyway, Keith Barney departs. He goes full time with 18 Visions. So longtime touring guitarist Matt Mentley comes into the fold as the guitar player. Dom, who had been there since the beginning, he maintains his position as bassist. And then they have a drummer, Ben Dassault, who uh, has since been in other meepin' bands like Madball and things like that. So uh, a nice, solid lineup that uh, solidified for, for several years throughout. So that's who we're talking to. We're talking to Matt Mentley, who you may remember from being on an episode previously, talking with me about Soulfly's self-titled album. But now we're going to talk about something he did that he took part of, and that is Vendetta by Throwdown. Now, when Vendetta was released, it was kind of seen as quite a divisive record. I don't even want to say polarizing, because it wasn't quite that, but I think that the fact that there were member changes going on, and there had just been a significant change with vocalists, it made people see the band as a completely new entity, which, I mean, it really was. But looking back on Vendetta, even from a personal perspective, when Vendetta first came out, I, I kind of thought it was a completely different thing. And now, if you go back and listen to 2003's Haymaker and then listen to Vendetta, they're kind of totally natural progressions of each other. Now, the 
material the band would release after that, 2007's Venom and Tears, 2009's uh, Deathless, most notably. You know, they went uh, definitely in a more metallic direction in the sense of like a, a groove metal kind of thing. And I'm sure that comes from, as Matt Mentley will tell us here pretty soon, touring with bands of that ilk. But uh, Vendetta is a, I think, an overlooked album of the time, and I think is more highly regarded now in retrospect. I mean, even myself at the time, I was like, ah, I don't know if this was really what I was looking for. But uh, if you haven't listened to the album in a while, definitely after you're done hearing me and Matt yak about it, give it a shot because it's really sick and you're definitely going to be the strongest person in your planet fitness, the mecca of bodybuilding. But hey, I just listened to the record. All right, let's talk to Matt Mentley, who took part in the record, an album that Dave Peters on the bonus DVD for this album said it was music for you to be a 14-year-old and yell at your parents to. What happened was me and Keith were living together, and that's when that split started happening where it was like, Throwdown was like ready to go full time. I went to Japan with them in February of 04. And I was still, I was filling in since like 01. I did the tour with Martyr AD in 01. And that was my first tour. And then I did all these shows. Like we'd go up to Gilman and I'd play because Tommy was working or Dave was working or in college or whatever it was. And um, that was when Keith was still singing, obviously. And then even when Dave was started singing, I would fill in for Keith or Tommy because Keith was on with 18 Visions, right? And we were roommates and stuff. And then it got to the point where Keith had tours book with 18 visions. So I had to go to, I went to Japan with him. It was two weeks we did in Japan. And that's when they sort of asked me like, Hey, we want to do this full time. We're all done with school. You want to do it? And I'm like, yeah, let's go. I've been filling in for fucking three years. Let's I'm ready. You know? So then that, and then Oh four, it was just, that's when things went crazy, but we did, you know, I went home, we did the forever video, which I was in, even though I'm not, I didn't record on the record, obviously, but then everything after that was like, yeah, it was like, so when we did these repressings, it says throwdown is Dave Peters, Dom, me tommy still because he was still in the band and ben on drums but then it says you know all uh, um keith barney played guitar on this recording right jared alexander played drums on this recording like it says who played on the recording but it says who throwdown is which is they kind of did that obviously as like a because like that's who the band was then right but then tommy of course quit right after ozfest after japan in 04 we did a spring tour in the u.s with most precious blood we did that tour and that was still as a four-piece so we did Japan as a five piece and then um, with a drummer that he was never in Throwdown more than just playing a few live shows, but he did Japan with us. And then we did the tour with most precious blood. We had the drummer from scars of tomorrow at the time play drums for us on that tour. And that was okay. It didn't really go great. We, we, we didn't feel like that was going to be a permanent member. So we ended up talking to Ben and then Ben went with us. Our first tour was Europe in Oh four. Um, we did like a month in Europe and then after that was Ozfest. And then at that point we knew Ben was going to be in the band. And then, so Oz, uh, Europe, we took Marky, our old drummer from like beyond repair and you don't have to be blood. And he played the second guitar in Europe with us. And then Ozfest, Tommy did that as his kind of last tour. So we were a five piece. And then after that, we were a four piece for a while, just me on guitar. And then, um, all the yeah, all the tours we did like after that was we did Norma Jean, we did Lamb of God, Fear Factory, Children of Bodom. Uh, we went back to the UK with Lamb of God and Azalee Dying, and after that we rec- we went and wrote Vendetta. 
So when you're writing Vendetta, are the four of you that are listed on Vendetta, you, Dom, Dave, Ben, are you the core four people that are writing all these songs or are any of these songs coming over from previous members kind of contributing or it's the four of you no. writing on? Yeah. So on Haymaker, um, that's when there was a mix. There was a lot of mix still of like Keith and, and, and actually Dave, I don't know if everyone knows this, but Dave actually wrote Forever, which is like one of the biggest throwdown songs was became our perpetual closing song. We tried to change it for years and never could. We even tried to get This Is Where It Ends, which is on Vendetta as the closing song. And we could never do it. We, like the fans just w- wouldn't let us not play forever at the end, I feel like. But um, yeah, the four of us were, I mean, we started, we started writing stuff in 04, but like on tour kind of writing, you know, where you like, oh, we're doing a sound check and we jam. And so like, like the ending of Vendetta, for example, the song Vendetta, that like end breakdown whole thing that was like that spawned from this of me and Ben kind of jamming had a sound check in Germany just that one that riff that like kind of down to the lift to the lift to the lift you know that kind of ending riff that double bass pattern thing um, and obviously it got developed way more later on but stuff like that and then on Ozfest like we had a, we were on a bus for the first time so like we would jam on the bus, you know, in the back lounge kind of thing. And, and, um, and Dave really took the reins at that point and really is the primary songwriter from that point forward, you know? And we, I mean, once we, once we were like, okay, we got to go write an re- album and record it. We had, we literally had like 30 days pretty much to write Vendetta. <laughs> so we had about, it was about a month that we were home and had to write it. And do you feel like it uh, it benefits from that urgency, or do you wish that you had more time to to work on it? It's hard to say. At the time, I felt like it was rushed, and I, it was a whirlwind kind of for me because I was essentially the new guy. You know, as far as the public was concerned, I was the new guitar player. Even though for me, having been friends with those guys since the inception of the band and playing with them, you know, years before that on tour, I didn't feel new. Right, like I didn't feel like this new guitar player in the band. But as far as the recordings went and as far as new songs, I was looked at as like, oh, the new guitar player. Like I remember reading reviews of Vendetta and going, they're going, oh yeah, you know, his style's really changing. And it's like, well, it's not, they th- like they're, you know, basically blaming me for it as if like, and again, Dave was the primary songwriter going forward once. And I think part of that was I, um, like I said, it was, it was new for me, right? Like being in, I was all of a sudden thrown into, I was never in a band that serious. So I was like, wow, like we're writing like an album and this is going to be, you know, at the time, like it was a big deal for, for me. Like it was the biggest thing I had done. You know, I toured all of essentially all of Haymaker, but again, I didn't play on the record. So Vendetta, I was, I was definitely intimidated at the outset of like, like, well, contributing, like, because the bands I was in prior to that, I was the primary songwriter and a, a few bands that I had done it when I was younger, but like, I was like intimidated for sure. Cause I always felt like an, you know, below average guitar player at best kind of just, you know, I was okay. I was good enough to play things, but I never felt confident. I always struggled with confidence and stuff. So, um, but yeah, man, I mean, I, at the time I remember feeling like, man, I wish I had more time and I wish I contributed more and I wish, but, um, it's the way it had to be, man. I mean, you know, we were, it was going hundred miles an hour. Like we were, we were going and, uh, and those days, you know, you didn't have time to like take a year to write a record. So we had to get back on the road and, and even the recording of it, we went from writing it, we drove out to Massachusetts, recorded it with Zeus, and then we toured back, right? I mean, that's how you did it. It's like, oh, we got to tour back. 
to make money. <laughs> so. Did you feel any sort of pressure being a fan of the band coming in and wanting to make sure that you're maintaining the integrity of the sound that people liked, or was that not even something on your on your mindset? I don't think I felt that because Dom and Dave were the mainstays, right? Like they were they were still there and they were had been in the band for Dom was, you know, from there from the really beginning and Dave had been there for since you don't have to be blood or he had been there so long that like I I felt confident because they were the main guys in the band at that point, right? They were the the leaders of that band essentially at that time, right? So I never felt that pressure. Um and again, Dave was the primary songwriter on that record on Vendetta. So I mean I I had never been a part of at that up until that point on on um a record on some somewhat of a major release, not a major label, but you know what I'm saying, a major, a bigger release. I was definitely nervous in that sense. Like, wow, this is like going to be a big deal for me. You know, that's how I felt at the time <laughs> when I was 22 or whatever I was. Well, did you, as a fan of the band then still going off of that same perspective, did you feel like it was a jarringly different sound for Throwdown by the time it was done with, or were you just psyched about it? You're psyched to be a part of it. I mean, you're saying, of course, the understandable pressure, but at the same time, it had to be a lot of just excitement on your part. Like you said, this is your first time kind of having a national release. So are you caught up in that, that you're not worrying about all these other intangibles? Yeah, I was, I was excited. I, it didn't feel as much pressure because I had been in the band almost a year at that point, officially, right? Like I had been touring, like I said, Japan, we did tour with most of blood. We did Ozfest, like, like big stuff, right. And doing these big metal tours. And so I already felt comfortable in the band at that point. That's what's cool. Like it wasn't like I joined officially and then like, boom, we're writing a record. So at least there was, some, and then there was lead up to, to writing that record. I mean, like I said, we were messing around with some of that stuff on the road over the, the year before, prior. So it didn't ever feel like, I didn't feel like a big departure to me. I know it did to people on the outside, but I think that's always the case, right? Like a lot of times people on the outside look at it. Oh, like the, the record from two or three years ago sounds so much different, but like to the band, it never sounds I don't feel like it ever sounds that way because we're the ones that are living it and like writing it as we go. And, and you know what I'm saying? It's not, it's not the same experience. I never feel like I didn't feel like Venom and Tears was a big departure from Vendetta either. So, (laughs) you know what I mean? But I know fans did. So. Well, you know, one thing that I think I've ignorantly always thought is because I hold uh, Keith Barney in such high regard for his guitar playing in 18 visions and also as a vocalist for throwdown that he was like the mastermind writing all these kind of like, new metal hardcore riffs on these other albums but listening to vendetta especially recently the riffs on this album in particular i think venom and tears is a lot different probably deliberately so but the riffage really isn't that big of a difference so is it safe to say that dave was also contributing i mean i know he played guitar in the band so was he also contributing to those songs you kind of have that perspective because you were around at that time too yeah i think with vendetta dave was with a lot of those songs too was trying to you know, not push it too far. I think as a band that, that with that release, we were trying to keep it somewhat grounded in what Throwdown was at the same time. And were there any songs on there that you felt you were particularly contributing to that you're like really proud of that you got to kind of get your, your riffs in on? But like my, I mean, my favorite stuff on there to play was like, Give My Life is really fun to play live. Um, speak the truth. Discipline, I really love playing live. I really like that song. And um, Annihilation, even though we didn't play it very much, it was a slower. It was nice, though, in live sets. We, we played it on like maybe one or two headline chords, but it was fun to play to break up the speed 
of a lot of our songs, you know, where it was like, oh, it's kind of a nice break in some ways, you know, those mid-tempo kind of jams. So on the uh, Together Forever United DVD, Dave says that, you know, Throwdown will always be sand straight edge in a song. The go will be in the same spot. And then deliberately not done on the following record, Vendetta. But I know that discipline is kind of, I mean, there's songs you could certainly interpret to have a straight edge message. So I'm not saying uh, that that isn't obvious to me. But as a straight edge person yourself, and again, a fan of the band, now you're a contributing member to the band. Did you feel like that was missing from Vendetta, like a, a straight edge anthem? Or did you feel like discipline fit that uh that slot yeah i didn't i wasn't really concerned with that obviously i know other people were uh, discipline pr- feels pretty straight edge to me so i was cool with that and then um i mean this is where it ends is pretty straight edge um it's pretty pretty gnarly so i always felt like it was good like i didn't i didn't need to say straight edge i mean you gotta remember too like we're playing forever every night too so like we're saying straight edge every night of our lives Right, like in a live setting, so like it didn't feel like a big deal to me. Like it was every to me saying straight edge or not doesn't doesn't mean the implication isn't there. Like the discipline, I mean to me that is a straight edge song. The album as a whole definitely feels a lot more. I want to say metal, but when I say metal, I don't mean like, you know, shredding guitar solos. Almost like Hatebreed is a, a metal band or Earth Crisis is like a metal band. Both of those right. are also in the hardcore realm as well. But I guess metallic hardcore um, is a better better description of it. And I think that that uh, lends itself to a lot of growth for making the album feel like a progression from Haymaker without it uh, sounding like a radically different band. And I think that it's most prevalent in the opening song, We Will Rise, has, you know, that cool kind of lead on it that isn't, again, it's not, you know, some Carrie King solo or something right. like that, but it definitely right. has like a lead that, uh, and that's something new for Throwdown, but it doesn't feel silly. It feels like, oh, cool. They added something to their arsenal. Was that something that you were uh, kind of cognizant of with that song in particular? Yeah. And then there's a few of those on the record, right? Like, um, I think Annihilation has one. A kind of a little lead part and i think discipline does too if i remember um yeah they were new and i mean i remember at the time like for me those were challenging to play right like those aren't those aren't complicated things and obviously we got more technical on later records especially like venom and tears got a little more but um vendetta yeah at the time i remember those little leads i was like especially when we were just like a four-piece i'm thinking like how am i gonna play this stuff live you know right. that stuff was cool to me like i i mean all of us liked metal. So it wasn't like, and again, we were touring with so many metal bands at that point. Um, I would say so many, but I mean, we did Ozfest, right? We became friends with Lamb of God. They took us on two different tours, US and UK. So obviously it's not like overtly, we sound like Lamb of God all of a sudden, but obviously that stuff, we love that band. And so it was like, how could that not, how could, how could those things not influence you if you're around them all the time? You know what I'm saying? And we all liked metal, right? Like I know for me, Dave, Especially like we liked metal when we were younger before we heard hardcore. Because right? that was more mainstream, that was more accessible. Metallica, Megadeth, Pantera, those things for me came first. Now, the song Vendetta, like you mentioned earlier, the ending of that song is almost like, you know how uh, when 18 Visions put out Obsession? 
uh, people that were early into their earlier material kind of panned it, but the song Tower of Snakes has this insane breakdown. People are like, oh, the Tower of Snakes breakdown. Yeah. Vendetta's almost like that. Like, even if you don't think you like this album, the ending of Vendetta is just devastating. Like, you can't not think that that's sick. Yeah. So was that uh, something that you were thinking of, too? Is that is that why the album got named after that song? Or, you know, what came first, the song title, the album title? I just know that that original idea for that riff, I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm remembering this correctly, was on our European tour in 04, and I believe we were sound checking in Germany. And it was me and Ben messing around. Now, again, I said, I say that, but like it, of course, evolved into like this more structured and like there's the different parts to it. But like that initial idea for that riff with like that double bass pattern came from us messing around. And so I don't think there was any intention of like, let's make this really sick part. It just was screwing around, which a lot <laughs> of stuff comes that way, you know, a lot of riff ideas come that way. So, um, yeah, there was no, I don't, for me, there was no initial intention. Yeah, I just think that that's such a, a cool song and, a, a you know, it's it's even kind of early on in the album, too. So yeah. even more surprising, you don't, you don't leave it for for later. And uh, it being the title track, you know, it kind of gives you a more of a focus on it, too. But uh, I know that you may not understand or I shouldn't say understand, but be aware of the intention with the lyrics and the uh, the the titles. But do you know where the artwork comes from with these praying hands? Um, I know that the guys that do invisible creature now that was asterisk studio at the time that have done all the artwork for every throw release since haymaker um they did the artwork and the photography and our friend brandon is actually the guy that they used he's he's the one in those pictures okay in the album um he's a friend of ours from orange county but yeah invisible creature which again at the time was asterisk they did the artwork the the clark brothers that were in demon hunter and, and ryan still is in demon hunter but well, what did Vendetta mean to you? Whether it was that song or just that title, did you feel like you were kind of up against the the wall being the the new guy in the band? Or, or what did you take from it being called Vendetta? Just, you know, your own individual interpretation? Yeah, I think it was sort of a, um, a way to uh, us trying to make a statement of like, hey, we're, you know, because at the time that felt really important, right? These member changes, they seem, they seem such a, like such a big deal at the time from where the band was and where it ended up going. And so I think for all of us, we felt like, yeah, we're getting a lot of crap and like, oh, what direction? And, and I think there was a lot, you know, at the time, a lot of people kind of like, where are they going to go? Like, what's the direction they're going to go? And so I think for us, it was like a statement of like, yeah, like we're, we're still solid. We're still good. We're here. Like, this is going to be, you know, a good record and we feel it's good. And I, and it, it's funny. Cause like you said, a lot of people felt it was different at the time. And, but just like a lot of bands, I think in hindsight, a lot of people, now say it's their favorite like and i've heard that about venom and tears i've heard that about deathless i've heard that about a lot of the records where it's like at the time it comes out you know a lot of people have this reaction to it ah it's different i don't like it but then a lot of times and I, i've seen that with other bands too over the years it ends up becoming like a favorite of a lot of people or in hindsight right or or with time with age you know we'll be back after a quick break If you love good music and good podcasts, you'll love Roots Music Rambler. I'm Jason Falls. My co-host Francesca Folinazzo and I talk to the singers, songwriters, musicians, and more in Americana, alt-country, bluegrass, folk, blues, and beyond. We share our own takes on the latest news in the space and recommend new music for you to explore every episode. Come get to the roots of the music you love. Find us at RootsMusicRambler.com or go wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to Roots Music Rambler. 
Yeah, because all these things, uh, you know, whether it's something that we love or don't like, it's a, a time and place thing, you know, and, yeah. and maybe at the time, Vendetta seemed so weird in the canon of Throwdown, but now looking back, it seems so commonplace compared to kind of what came after it. So, right. well, I know, you, you know, going back to the, the lyrics, though, you know, a, a thing about Haymaker is that Dave was coming in as the vocalist from Keith. And a lot of those songs, like we talked about, were re-recordings of yeah. Uh, older songs but the songs that dave wrote the lyrics to you know were kind of um kind of uh simpler you know that they were uh, a lot of profanity a lot of uh straightforward not a whole lot of nuance um i'm trying to think of a, a polite way to say they were kind of you know silly but um you know the the lyrics on vendetta don't have that not to say he doesn't say profanity or whatever but it, it never is like the the bravado of like just saying bitch in the middle of a song. You know what I mean? It's very, it's much more focused. Do you remember that being something that he was focused on? He wanted to be kind of taken more seriously as a, a songwriter versus just a front man, or is that just, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I don't, I didn't have, we didn't have any direct conversations about that, but I think so. Yeah. I think, I think all of us, you know, we're trying to go in a more serious direction as a band. Like we became a full-time band finally after all those years. Right. And, and we're like, yeah, this is what we want to do. We wanted to do this for a living at the time. And so we wanted to be taken serious, you know, which is hard when your name's Throwdown, but we tried our best. You know? Well, you know, Throwdown's always seen as like, oh, you know, and this is what every band says when they're scared of what public opinion is going to be. Oh, we, we were a joke band. And, you know, but yeah. Throwdown doesn't sound like a silly name to me. I mean, maybe it was silly in the context. I know the, the lore of everyone was yeah. small and like they weren't really tough yeah. guys, but exactly. just the name Throwdown doesn't sound silly. Yeah, it feels silly to say sometimes, but once we go, oh, what band were you in? And you say throw down and you're like, oh, like, I don't know. It just seems... I just I, I guess maybe because, again, being so close to it, it's hard to have a, a, an outside perspective, obviously. But you just see something like you say, like Toby Keith, you know, throw down tour, like, you know, have like and you're like that that word gets used so much in like the fighting world and in like the country world, I feel like they use it a lot for some odd re- reason. I don't know why, but well, the hoedown throwdown, you got to have one, I guess so. but yeah. So um, it feels sort of silly sometimes, but yeah. You do have a, uh, a guest appearance by Howard Jones of yes. meet meet Speaking fame of the, the kill switch engage. And now he's yeah. in uh, not devil, you know, what is light the torch. Yes. He of course was in blood has been shed when he was featured on yeah. the 18 visions album vanity, but now he's in, Kill Switch engage and he well not now but at the time of this album coming out yes. he's in Kill Switch. Yep. So uh, how did that collaboration happen and did he actually come to the studio with Zeus to to track the vocals? Yeah, we um yeah, at the time that was kind of what you did, right? You had to have the person come in, I think. I guess some people were doing it remotely, but yeah, we had him come in cuz we were in uh, Massachusetts um with Zeus in Western Mass. I forget the town that he was in at the time his studio, but um yeah, we were friends with Howard, you know, from the blood has been shed days. And and then obviously, yeah, he, he was in kill switch and we had him come into the studio and do vocals for that and hung out. And yeah, I was actually looking at photos because I have a bunch of photos from the recording. I got pictures of him uh, eating a, um, a grinder in the studio with us and then just us hanging out, bullshitting. And then I got some shots of him doing the vocals and stuff. Yeah. So he came in and did that. I really wanted him to sing on the song, <laughs> obviously. That wasn't going to happen on Vendetta, of course. Um, and the, the song didn't really lend itself to that. Um, but I just loved his singing voice so much. But uh, yeah, he just did the, he did the screams. But it was still rad. You know, his, his voice is so sick. You have 
Yeah, yeah. What a what a great vocalist and great frontman, and especially at that point. I mean, not to say anything about him now, but at that point, he's like on fire. He's really kind of coming to yeah. his own with Kill Switch at the time, and yep. so uh, really cool to have him on here. And it's just a it it seems like a cool thing of mixing those worlds too, because Kill Switch is firmly like in that metalcore like mainstream yeah. world. Like they're a huge band in 05. and so you guys kind of coming up trying to take that next step and have him a part of it, I think is a, is a very symbolic kind of thing. Well, he would, yeah. I mean, like I said, we just benefited from already being friends with him, you know, <laughs> right. and, and, and then he would like, if he was around, like we, I, I think it was Ozfest, one of the Ozfest shows or maybe more than one, he, he would come out and did some get and do vocals with Dave on stage. Oh, wow. So that was really cool at that time. Um, that was Oh four, obviously, but yeah, he, he would come out when we were around, uh, he did it in San Bernardino, the, the, the Southern California date. And which is one of the biggest shows of that Ozfest. So he was, yeah, he was a friend and was happy to do it. Uh, Sean Martin of then Hatebreed fame also is on the album, not doing vocals though, right? Playing guitar. F Sean Martin, dude. Yeah. <laughs> he, um, he actually does do vocals oh, okay. on Shut You Down. It's in the parts, uh, it's those like verse parts where he, it's, um, it's like just a line, you know, those like he's in there, he's in the mix, but we also had him do guest pick slides. Okay. That's a little known fact. Um, I think it's on Vendetta, the opening. This is if I remember correctly, I think it was the opening, you know, yeah, yeah where the, the drum roll comes in um, because whenever, you know, we toured with them and like we would on stage, he was just so gnarly and his pick slides, we just thought they were so sick. And so, yeah, he came in, obviously he lived close. And I uh, came in and just hung out for the day and did did that. God, that should have been on the hype sticker. Guess pick slides by I know. Sean Martin. I know. <laughs> Missed opportunity. Remember when that was like a big thing, those hype stickers, and then they would start being like too cute. They'd be like for fans of Britney Spears and hate breed, you know, and be like, they are really going for it. Yeah. Yeah. We had those on our records for sure. The hype stickers. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I know hype stickers are even still a thing now. Just, I remember there was a, a point in time where they became almost like a, a punchline versus a real marketing tool. Yeah. To try to try to go the other way. And cause they got to, they got to uh, kind of too standard, I think. So people are trying to do something different. Yeah. So the album ends with, this is where it ends, which is uh, quite a departure from the rest of the album in the sense it's really fast, really short. You know, it's a really cool way to end the album too, especially with, uh, coming right after Annihilation, which feels kind of like a, like you even mentioned before, like a more slow trudging kind of thing. Yeah. It's a nice little climax into like the the big finale. Um, but, uh, you know, the overall, the the album is uh, is 11 tracks. Is there one song that you would take out of this album to make it flow better? I don't think so. Well, you have to pick one. I have to. Yeah, you have to take one out. Well, I can't say World Behind because Howard sings on that one. And that's crucial. We can move his vocals to another one. I really, I, I mean, I can I, can I say no? Yeah, you can say no. <laughs> because, because I, like I said, I feel like we had no time to write extra songs. Whereas like with Venom and Tears, we did, you know, and so we weren't like, it was like, okay, we need, we're trying to get to 11 songs or 10 or 11 songs. And it was like, we got it. And that was it. And so I feel like we didn't really have time to trim fat because there, I feel like there really wasn't any anyway. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We didn't, like I said, the bonus tracks for the Japanese Roadrunner release were live songs they recorded while we were there in Japan <laughs> because we didn't have bonus tracks to give them. So they didn't exist, you know. Well, the big single off the album that has the video is Burn, which is one of my favorite throwdown songs. I mean, it's so catchy and heavy and 
uh, really anthemic, you know, I mean, kind of builds off of what made forever such a popular song. So I'm sure that was uh, definitely, um, if not the idea, certainly a uh, a welcome side effect of it being such a cool song. But do you love Burn? Is this one of the hallmarks to the record for you? I do like that song. Um, I like playing it live. And I think on that bonus DVD, I think I do say that that was at the at the inception of that album, the beginning of that album when it was being released. That was my favorite at the time, for sure. Um, I think now Discipline's probably my favorite, but this many years later. But at the time, I think, yeah. I think Burn at the time was like, yeah, that, that song made a lot of sense for us as a band. And I think it was just, yeah, it was a good live song. People liked it. It was good. Yeah, I liked it. I remember the first time I heard Burn was when you uh, actually toured this with uh, Sounds of the Underground. Remember that tour? Oh, yeah. Yep. Of course. And how would you compare that to OzFest? You know, you you kind of bookend this album with these huge festival tours, OzFest before it, Sounds of the Underground afterwards. How would I compare? Um, well, OzFest obviously already was a huge like machine, right? By the time we do it in 04, it's already... So it's it's way more... I don't want to say professional. That's not fair to the Sounds of the Underground people, but it's, you know, like I said, it's run by the Osbournes, so it's a big tour and there's huge bands on it. And we felt obviously just like lucky to even be on it. Um, and even, even though Ozfest in 04 had a lot of our friends bands on it and Pierce that we already had known and toured with, obviously every time I die, you know, bleeding through all those bands that we already knew and had toured with. Um, Sounds the underground was sort of similar in that sense, except there wasn't, it didn't, it felt more like a DIY festival in a sense that, Lamb of God was the headliner, but we had already become friends with them, right? We already, you know, we already knew them. Um, and then it was like, we were sharing a bus on that tour with Norma Jean, who we already had become friends with from touring with them in 04. It was, it was a lot of it was like this, a lot of the same bands, you know, because Ozfest wouldn't do a lot of bands two years in a row. Yeah. It, I mean, Sounds of the Underground was different, but it was just, I mean, it was still really a really fun tour, really cool. And it, it was just hanging out with a lot of friends again and we got to tour with guar which was always a dream of mine from a young age you know finally got to do that so that was cool and we met you know we, we um got introduced to strapping and lad which was cool we ended up touring with them in the uk later sharing a bus with them over there so of course the uh, a, a bigger part of vendetta is what comes after it which is venom and tears and I, what is something about vendetta that you like more than venom and tears we'll be back after a quick break you still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It, it only takes structure. And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Know what I mean? So do do your homies uh got a role in your, in your little, you mean? Yeah, yeah. We all, we all artists over here, man. I'm trying, oh, yeah, I'm trying, yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying, oh, yeah. I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah. 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 Me and my man, like me and my man Kai, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit right now. I got lie, we play with this shit right now for for. Oh, I got lie, play don't play with it. No. Take that shit serious. I would say that I felt less pressure making Vendetta than we did once we got to Venom and Tears. Like Venom and Tears, to me, I remember that whole writing and recording process being pretty anxious and worried about how it was going to be received, but also not caring too. Cause like 
we wanted to do what we wanted to do. Um, and we weren't, we didn't always see eye to eye as a band either. Of course. Um, I think at that point, me and Dave were probably more aligned with where we, we wanted to go than like Ben and Mark. Um, and so there was some tension there, but I think a lot of that made songs come out really cool too, but we had a lot of time with that record too. That's the other thing that was very different for us. So, you know, Vendetta was this sort of, um, urgent sort of like we had a month to write it. We had three weeks to record it and then we're back on the road. Whereas Vendetta, we had months, like a lot of months. And then we had multiple months to record it, right? It was like, we had almost a year off between the writing and recording of that record. So that was new and different for us, which was cool. Um, it also made me sort of realize that I don't want to tour anymore. So <laughs> I, I really like, I like being home. I like going to the studio. I like doing that aspect of it a lot more than, the, you know, the, the, the slog of the road every day. So that was sort of the initial seeds, I think for me of like, I'm going to, I don't want to tour anymore. I was doing that record, but Vendetta was probably just more fun in general, <laughs> just because, like I said, it was, it was a, it was quick. We didn't have a lot of time to overthink things. And we just did it. You know, we just boom, boom, banged out songs and recorded it. And, and again, it was my first sort of bigger experience with a, a, a producer per se. And, and, and Zeus is a producer. And now he's gone on to do even, you know, obviously way bigger things. He's in Queensryche and he's does movie scores and Rob Zombie albums. And so that's really cool. Yeah. But at the time, you know, he had done, you know, Hatebreed, Shadows Fall, stuff that, you know, guys we knew and bands we liked. So it made sense to go there. And we loved his recording. So, so that was, it was just a fun experience, you know? What would you say the biggest difference is between working with Zeus on Vendetta and working with Mudrock on Venom mm. and Tears? I think the biggest difference that stands out off the top of my head is that Zeus sort of knew our world, right? Like he, you know, he comes from our world, essentially. He knows Hatebreed, knows that world. And Mudrock was more of a mainstream producer, I guess. You know, he, he kind of, you know, he's known for Godsmack and, and then Avenged Sevenfold and, you know, Obviously, then he did 18 Visions. He started doing more underground bands that became bigger. But I think even that, even us choosing him sort of made fans think differently of us, right? Because, you know, when those press releases come out and it's like, throw down, choose Mudrock to do their next record. And, and then in the parentheses, it says Godsmack and Avenged Sevenfold. Then people start going, oh, you guys are going to sound like Godsmack, you know, and that becomes a thing. And it's like, well, I, yeah, I, just because the guy produced him, you know. I remember that always being a thing. I'm like, I never understood the Godsmack comparisons, but um, maybe they meant the drumming was sick, like Shannon Larkin. So they were like, it sounds yeah. just like Godsmack. Yeah. But I think people see the name associated with a producer and go, oh, that's, you know, I think that just sticks in people's heads. But yeah, I just think that Zeus understands the type, like what we're going for more than like maybe Mudrock did at the time. Is that almost maybe why Mudrock would have been the right choice for it? Because it is kind of, you guys were going in a different direction and he's from a different world. Yeah, I think so. I think that was at the time we we're thinking like, oh, and again, like we're good friends with 18 Visions. You know, we're still sharing a practice space with them at this time. And it was like they just recorded, they had recorded with him. Right. And so we're like, oh, and, and he had done some other stuff with uh, some other friends of ours. And so we started developing a relationship with him. And then actually, the way that started was we needed to record, I don't even remember why, but we needed to record a couple cover songs. They ended up becoming bonus tracks on Venom and Tears, but it was Planets Collide by Crowbar and then the um, London Dungeon by Misfits. And we were like, we went in and recorded those two with him, like in a summer in between tours. And that was sort of like, hey, let's go, let's go do this with him and see how it vibes. So we went and recorded those. And then 
we're like, yeah, it was, it was cool. And we liked the way those turned out. And we, we actually feel like those might've turned out better than the way that the, the final mix of the album did later on. Was there any point uh, when you're doing Venom and Tears or even writing Venom and Tears where people start to tell you about, like, you know, you're talking about these comparisons that you were getting, but that's after the fact, that's after it already exists. Yeah. Did you have, you know, peers or, or management or mud rock or whoever saying like, Oh, you know, this kind of sounds like something else sounds like a more, you know, metal band or anything like that. Or no, when we would write albums, we were pretty self-contained. Like no one was really hearing it. Like we were in our practice space. We weren't at, you know, we weren't demoing songs with mud rock. We weren't doing any of that. I was recording them on my laptop, right? Like on, like just opening up garage band and open in a single track recording them so we could have them overnight and listen to them for each day coming back and figuring out what we're going to do. Just recording, you know, a live room sound. That's it. We weren't demoing songs with anybody. We weren't showing them to the label. We weren't doing any of that. You know, it was just very self-contained. The only struggle we had was within ourselves of like somebody saying, well, that's to this or that's to that right within the band. And I mean, I had some demos even for Venom and Tears that were like, yeah, we can't use these. You know, they were like too far in a direction that, you know what I mean? That would have been, I don't know. Like one, there was one, I remember one that had a very sort of kind of Southern kind of rock riff to it. And it was like, yeah, we just, we didn't feel which, you know, I ended up that kind of stuff kind of happened more on deathless, which I wasn't a part of, but yeah, there's some songs that got thrown out in the practice space essentially <laughs> before they even got. And then there's some that we started recording with mud rock that never got finished either. Never got to the vocal part you know, the vocal stage or whatever that just felt like they just weren't going to work or. Well, looking back on your time with Throwdown, I know that we kind of covered it from the beginning to the end because you end up leaving after Venom and Tears, but with Vendetta, with it being your first album, you know, I know that you had already been playing with the band for a couple of years and the excitement of it and everything. What's, what's a, a favorite memory of this period of time in your life that you look back on very fondly and you're, you're excited to have been a part of Ozfest for sure. I think that's a favorite memory for like everyone that did it. Um, the first time I went to Japan, of course, was great. That that whole period was was really fun. But then my, probably one of my favorite memories ever is we played Okinawa. And I remember at the time, you know, people telling us we were there, like bands don't come here. You know, it's very rare for a band to come to Okinawa. And we played this show <laughs> in this like basement and Okinawa, I don't know if you know, but like there's a lot of um, military bases on that island. So a lot of like people, military, a lot of more Americans that end up coming to the show. Whereas like a lot of the other shows in Japan, it's mostly, you know, Japanese people. So like this was, it was cool because you're like, oh, we're getting like some people that like know us and they're, and they're military guys or whatever. And it was in this basement and we, we were playing, <laughs> we had practice amps. I mean, this is like, I mean, it was, and I remember it being one of the most uncomfortable, hottest, sweatiest. Just like the, I couldn't hear it. We, none of us could hear anything. All you hear is symbols, right? You couldn't hear the vote. I mean, it was like the most just ghetto show, but I remember that as being like one of the funnest at the same time, right? Like just that like intense and just remi- kind of remembering like why you're doing it, like the, the punk rockness of it. Like just, it doesn't matter if you have good equipment or, you know, whether it's a big show or not, which those big shows are fun, but like those, those real small, intimate, just sweaty, disgusting punk shows were like are so fun and that's like why we that's when you that's how we started you know playing music any of us you know that's like for me that's that's the, that's fun that's the, that's like the, i brought it back to like that fun 
aspect of it where it didn't matter if I could hear my guitar, right? People love, I mean, those people have the best memory their whole life that like they got to go to the show and experience that. And it was so much fun. And I, I, like I said, I, I remember it vividly. And I don't remember a lot of shows, you know, you play so many of them years, but that one I specifically remember. And that was really, that's probably, that's a standout. I mean, the, the whole thing felt really cool because it felt like the band was ascending. You know, you, you felt it. This is why it fucking hurts. This is why. Praying hands and thanks to Matt for sharing these stories with us and crossed arms on my chest for him keeping the straight edge after all these years. You can follow Throwdown on Instagram at Throwdown Music for pictures and posts about their legacy, including, but not limited to, Vendetta. Thanks for hanging out on another edition of Living with a Pod Complex. More to come every time I do them. I'm Ryan Rainbow. This is Meet Meet. And yes, that's the best that I can come up with. Bye!